Welcome to the first post-quarantine episode of Ludicrously Specific. My name's Doug, and I've been agonizing to say what my favorite heavy metal band is, and I'm going to go with a tie between Iron Maiden and Alcest. And I'm Steve, and I've also been agonizing on my choice of favorite heavy metal band, but I'm going with Nightwish. And my name's Darren, and I don't know no heavy metal, <laughs> so I'm choosing Christopher Lee. That, that works. He yeah, that worked. Multiple Chris, uh, Christopher Lee did multiple heavy metal albums, and they're fantastic. And that could just be my answer for a lot of things. <laughs> so, so this is the, part of the problem about this specific podcast is it's going to be very metal. And one yeah. of the things about metal is it has about a bazillion subgenres. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Alcest. I've certainly never heard of Nightwish, so we probably don't even have the same no, subgenres and I've never heard of any of them. <laughs> Nightwish is symphonic metal, so okay. I mean, you've got big or, uh, operatic vocals. I wish I had an angel for one moment of love. I wish I had your angel tonight. Massively overproduced and just, I love it, it just gets the all the hairs on there on my arms just rising up any time I hear Nightwish. Nightwish, Epica, After Forever, fantastic band. But okay. I have not heard of your band, which is... Alcest, uh, they're a Belgian band that have put about seven albums out, and they actually... Uh, you might actually like them, because they, they range from one that's actually a bit heavily acoustic, but most of them are more some, some combination of uh, prog thrash drumming structures with um, really dense multiple layers of guitar and about eight, ten minute kind of um, washes of sound. Wow. I see. Darren is looking and, lost and, right uh, now. And Christopher <laughs> Lee is an actor who, who sung some shit. He sung some shit. He sung some yeah. good shit. Come hither to my bedside The hour that I must retire is drawing Anyway, so this is going to be season two of uh, Ludicrously Specific. Now that, would you say that we're out of someplace now? Uh, We are definitely, we're out of, we're out of that shit. We we are down to level one. I was giving you a cue for we're out of the well. well. (laughs) I'm out of the well. You might might notice this audio quality being better unless I've messed it up. The fact that we're all in sight and that uh, means that Skeets isn't in a well (laughs) or that we're not looking at him from the top of the well. To address the two large elephants in my living room, we're in the same place. (laughs) We're drinking the same beer. Cheers. Cheers. Look, I put on a lot of weight over lockdown, but I stopped short an elephant. We'll go with Oh, okay. Whoopsie. Oh, well, it'd be nice doing this podcast with you, gentlemen. But... I'm going to go with Chunky Giraffe. <laughs> it's a good name for heavy metal. Band. Mm. Now, what are we talking and about? The heavy metal? Why we, we are because in this in this season, we'll uh, each uh, of our themes will have a uh, music tinge, and so um, we've kind of talked about what worked best and worst in the previous. Uh, themes and uh, one of the uh, decisions was that the more ludicrously specific we could get the theme, the better. Definitely. Um, which is the sort of challenge that one gives to Steve <laughs> <laughs> at his own peril. So you want to share what you produced? This week's, uh, this episode, I said on this week, so I'm not doing this weekly because, you know, my, my liver will not handle that. Uh, this episode, we are doing three films with dialogue sampled by heavy metal bands that all start with the letter C. And as you can tell... Not the films with the letter C, but the bands start with the letter C. C. So as you can tell, we started off with kind of samples with bands and then into heavy metal bands. And then when I made the list, I went, 
there's another theme for me. Yeah. So, and not uh, I've heard of one other bands, but not two of the others. So I've been introduced to some new. Some oh, new so metal. you just like do like Google searches for I, bands I that found, sampled I or something? Don't give our secrets away. <laughs> oh right. I, I found a, a a very lengthy list, and I forget which website it was, but someone had kindly gone through and found all these different samples that have been put through. And when I does started it start looking, with W and end with Wikipedia? Uh, no, it wasn't oh, okay. Wikipedia. No, I think it was a it was a kind of a rating site. Oh, okay. I forget which one it was, but. They were, he had hundreds of different bands that had sampled. Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. Possibly <laughs> Christopher Lee. It could have been. Does Christopher Lee sample Christopher Lee? <laughs> <laughs> Only a little. Uh, uh, gentlemen, I'd like to include a sample from a very great <laughs> My next song, I'm sure you'll agree. I think we can get the rights if we ask very nicely. <laughs> I think any song should. I'm going to lay some shit down. <laughs> any song would be improved with Christopher Lee being sampled. Yeah. So, so, so shall we reveal the songs as we reveal the films? I think we probably should. That's that. Be good. And before we do that, shall yeah. we just have a quick catch up of what we've been up to the last month? I say, <laughs> I say quick. So, so the last time we talked, we were uh, at the tail end of being trapped in our houses at the bottom of wells and skyping. And since yes, then, and skyping um, and homeschooling, which I don't ever want to do again. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> if yeah. I have to have to look at the circumference of a circle again and work out the area, it will be too damn soon. So. <laughs> So you were happy for lockdown to be over? Uh, well, let's put it this way. When they said, we're going to level one on Monday and the kids can go back to school, I shouted down the corridor, Aiden, you're going back to school on Monday. And I heard, yay! So he was happy too. <laughs> go back to school. Well, that's good that it was a mutual it decision. It was a mutual decision. We'd, 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 you know, we'd get on well, our family, but, you know, after five weeks of lockdown... Yes. You go for a few too many walks by yourself just to, you know, <laughs> to get a little bit of space. But yeah, apart from that, I... It's, it's it's not as bad as some people are complaining about. Yeah. It's not something that you should be protesting about, saying we deserve the right to go out and go to Starbucks. I mean, you know, make coffee at home, damn it. You yeah. know, wear your mask, okay? <laughs> people are dying, all right? Yeah. If Get anything, it's, it's just shown that in real life, the apocalypse is really boring. It's very dull. <laughs> Not mad maxi at all. Yeah. No. No, you're just sitting at home watching some TV. It's uh, listening to a podcast or uh, doing copious lots of video messaging. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's only so many times you can watch a movie with your friends using Zoom and just not go, I just want those people in my house. I want to make jokes. I want to pass beer around the place. I want to spill ships around the place i don't want to be looking at you on a video screen so it's good to have you back boys excellent but oh oh, he spilled chips on my floor deliberately now that's fine right out yeah (laughs) um yeah it's been a um it was pretty pleasant lockdown for me actually it was you know it was pretty easy i mean not having kids at home mate (laughs) yeah yeah help and um and i was working pretty hardcore through it and then i finished my last gig and now i'm um waiting for the great uh film and television crews of New Zealand to shoot some more footage mm. because they can do that without endangering their lives <laughs> in this country. Um, I said to, I went out with my, to, I went out to dinner with my wife the other day and we were looking around and we're like, this is what it's like to be in the front car in Snowpiercer. <laughs> it literally feels that way to be, be here and, you know, have my family back in the States and seeing, um, you know, and I was, I just was talking to a friend who came back home to New Zealand, but had been living in L.A., and they were literally, like, um, the day the riots broke out, um, the person who he had the apartment with, who was staying there to pack up, was packing up their apartment, and, you know, they had the truck pulled in front wall. Things were flying in the streets. Okay. So, yeah, and, you know, I mean, I have stories of, you know, my brother's friend who 
had a cop shot shot in front of his house. Although I guess, to be fair, that yeah, it has happened, happened here. Unfortunately, sadly, sadly yeah, in New Zealand for the first time in over a decade, and mm. literally in not only the area I live but the street I live. So um, it's yeah. definitely a shock in this country because it's not something that you expect to happen every day. I mean, this is going to be national news for, for weeks in, in America. Mm. If that happens, a cop shot, oops, that's going to be two days in there. That's yeah. going to fade away. Mm, Person yeah. shot by a cop, oh, yeah. No, yeah. Don't put that in the paper. Yeah, no, everyone's well, read that story. Yeah, I mean, that's... I don't know how much that whole side of the recent... I, I'm going to call it uprising, because I don't know a better term, mm. but po- the post... George Floyd thing has affected your watching and your thoughts and things like that. I mean, certainly um, I've been watching more social justice documentary stuff since then, but um, but I also find sometimes just stuff that has a bit of a glorification of um, police violence just has a, a really much tougher time going down than it once yeah. did. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, when we had our first... Saturday cinema first get together and watch the movies and the theme simply was Badass Brothers and we watched some exploitation. we yeah. watched back to back Fred Williamson's where he's yeah. the man taking care of racists and it felt really <laughs> cathartic just to right. watch Fred yeah. Williamson in a it western really of all things yeah. the movie Boss originally known as Boss we call it Nigel Boss Nigel uh, <laughs> yes. you'll understand what it's called if you. but mm-hmm. it is which was a fantastic film which leads me into oh, that's, I should probably talk about that because that sure, was one yeah. of the films we watched it was it's a, it was an interesting night because we watched back to back black exploitation westerns, and there is such a thing as a black exploitation western, and multi, more than one because there's I've got a couple already in my DVD yeah, collection. Yeah. We had been talking about this film for years, and then we d- double featured it with the Legend of Nigel Charlie. That was the first, the one. first one that we watched, yeah. and which is a quite a it's quite a serious take. I mean, if you imagine a serious take on Blazing Saddles, right? But it's. It's done on... Yeah, I know. Good, yeah. good, yeah. <laughs> Does it break the fo- fourth wall at the end? <laughs> it, it doesn't so much, but it, it's, you You really get... You can probably see where, where Mel Brooks got a lot of inspiration from, from yep. these movies. And that's, as I say, that's quite a serious one. It's done on a low budget. It's basically shot on a on a, a film ranch in some, the, the world's smallest uh, saloon, basically. It looked like that to put the camera in the cupboard right. to shoot it. And then some years later, back at that exact same film ranch, I think eight years later, if I'm probably getting, getting pretty close to that, Fred Williamson writes his own movie, shoots it on that same film ranch, and this time it's a comedic... So much so, better. So much better. A right. comic uh, romp, basically, that's also a badass action film. And Fred Williamson is just... He hasn't been better. I mean, he's known for a lot of things like Hammer, for instance, and a lot of great black exploitations, but yeah. it's one of my favourite roles I've seen him mm. in. He's it's just be- having the best time. It's been a bit unfortunate in the news lately, though, with him and the VFWs mm. in yes, the state um, yeah. stuff, which I think I think part of the reason we ha- haven't got to b- back together is a week or two or so. So it was sort of the combination of the surge of everything in America and then that really mm. u- ugly Cinestate story coming out, which for anyone who ha- has no idea what I'm talking about, basically involves a production company uh, in Dallas that had been protecting a um, sexual predator. And also uh, part of the story involves uh, allegations around Fred Williamson's behavior uh, on VFW and sexual harassment and that complaints to deal with that were um, brushed under the table and um, met with a, um, oh, let's just have a buddy policy around Fred. Um, right. And I hadn't actually heard about this myself. I'd heard some some sort of 
glim- a clips about that, but I had not actually delved into it. I thought I'd talk to you guys about it and find out what it was. So yeah. glad you're bringing that um, up. In the scheme of things, what the uh, the other producer that was affiliated with it did was much, 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 much more horrible. Like you know, um, and um, yeah, but in still, it's just it's it it is endemic to the kind of. Um, discrepancy between the lip service to the values of the filmmaking community is often stated and then as displayed and you see that in lots of different ways you see that in you know we're going to fight for unions and and safe working conditions and it's like oh but everybody's working 95 hour weeks because we're making film and we love it um and also we need to do it instead you know or the union busting that you see um in new zealand that you know kept things here or even the um violating the law to get the Avatar 2 crew back Um, here. And these are very complicated uh, discussions. And I mean, I don't really want to oversimplify a lot of them in part because I don't fully understand all the things involved. But um, uh, this actually reminds me that I'm... I'm the only one at this table who's... It's not a table, but anyway. I'm the only one... (laughs) On the couch. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the only one at this couch who's been to the cinema so far. And... um, I went um, pretty much the first Wednesday it was open, and uh, I went to the Academy and saw Dark Waters, which, fine. Um, And then I went to the Bridgeway to see The Assistant, uh, which is uh, Kitty Green's film. Kitty Green did a documentary that's really good on Netflix called um, uh, Capturing John Bonet, I think it is, or Chasing John Bonet. Anyway, you you can get there from John Bonet and Kitty Green. Um, But The Assistant is not a documentary, it's a drama film, and the titular assistant is working for a New York corpulent producer of international art films, who we only ever really see at the edge of frame or yelling at the assistant on um, things um, over the course of a very bad day as um, she gradually realizes that... um, the level of complicity that she has is much uh-huh. greater than that, and that perhaps her solution lies in HR, which, spoiler alert, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> but it does lead to... Um, it, have you guys seen um, Succession? No. Oh, some of. Yeah, yeah, so Tom from Succession. Um, oh, the guy okay. who was in my father's den, I'm blanking Matthew on his McClendon. name. Yes, yes. Um, he is the HR manager in it, and he and um, Julia Garner from Ozark is mm. the uh, assistant, and the two of them have about a 15-minute scene in the middle. A lot of the film is very little dialogue, very little conventional drama scenes, more kind of office rituals of putting coffee cups away and stapling things and... Um, dealing with phone calls from angry wives and what have you. But, um, but yeah, it was just a reminder of that. Sorry, I totally no, went off no, track. No, you were, no, you were no, watching no, no, we've, no, we've started one film and we've <laughs> yeah, got yeah. So we're both discussing two films, <laughs> yeah. so try and keep up. So you watched no, lovely, I'm, fun I'm, films I'm with your friends and I'm, I'm, I was the one who brought up I'm, the sexual I'm, harassment. I'm actually quite glad you did that because one of the things that I've, I'm finding a bit of a theme was with some of the movies I've watched is having to distance the actor on screen from the person playing from the actual actor from mm. some of their things because one of the other films I watched after this great you know fantastic black exploitation western was one that my wife Dawn had picked and she just picked one at random from a, you know, a plex so it's just kind of she looked at it and it starred Vincent Gallo who if you don't know Vincent Gallo he has a, <laughs> a distinctly provocative deliberately provocative persona Yes. But everything I read about him says that that persona is just him, that he is just 
how can I put it, frankly? A piece of shit, frankly. And it was... If anyone's shopping, you can buy a sperm on his website for a million dollars. True story. Yeah, you can also... Um, have, he's, he's put himself up as a gigolo, so 50 grand, and you can uh, spend the week with him. And uh, ladies only, no dudes, apparently. It was Buffalo 66 was the film. Oh, yes. Which was you know, something that you probably wouldn't expect me yeah. to watch. Uh, and I, as I say, I didn't pick it. But I have challenged myself with a few films this time since lockdown. Not Raging Bull, sorry. Uh, still to come, still to come. He's consistent. I'm yeah, very yeah. consistent. It's, so, yeah, Buffalo 66 is is basically Vincent Gallo playing Vincent Gallo. It's very autobiographical. It's um, yeah, going back through his... I mean, if you look at the things that he talks about about his parents, it's exactly yeah. written into the script. The script is just the way that he talks. I've seen interviews with him, and he, he talks exactly that same way that dialogue is. And he is the most repellent character mm. in this film. He basically kidnaps a ballet dancer. Christina Ricci. Christina Ricci. A young blonde ingenue kind he, of. Um, and apparently yeah. he treated her like shit on set and he called her fat afterwards and said she was overrated. So fuck you, Vince Gallo. Uh, mm. Fuck you in the arse. Uh, he's... It was it was a movie that I... No, he said no dudes. No, no, no dudes. <laughs> but he he basically, in this this whole movie, it's it really feels like as I say, he tries to give himself a little bit at the end where he becomes a better character, and for mm. me it was way too little too late because it, it's just a movie that you, once again, you scrape off afterwards. You endure, you don't enjoy it. And mm-hmm. every review I've seen it said, yeah, you should see it once. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I that's ha- a maybe. I thought it was really good, actually, at the time, but I saw it theatrically when it came out. Mm. And um, at that time in the late 90s, there weren't a lot of people that were kind of drawing from that sort of John Cassavetes unafraid to be repellent in a character mm. drama. And, um, yeah, it, it felt... And the whole 16 mil aspect of it and using mm. Yes music and those mm. scenes in the club and they like kind of the s- scene where it goes freeze frame near the end yep. and stuff. There were some nice stylizations and the, the n- nice idea of the, you know, the first 15 minutes are him trying to take a pee yeah. uh, and stuff like but that. It's but it's just grimier than, than a Wings Hauser marathon. I'd say, say, say you, <laughs> oh, it's yeah. not exactly Vice Squad. You know? I, think, I think we should, you know, I mean, it, but it is, it's more sad. I think that's the mm. thing is that it's actually, it's not... Uh, repellent in a like viscerally offensive sort of way it's mm. just really sad yeah. and it's just really because it's so personal I think yeah exactly it, it feels have like have you seen Buffalo 66? I I think I have seen bits of it but right. probably not all of it mm. but you, I, I, I know think, of I think it. it's one that you would actually probably yeah. quite enjoy watching in its own way as I say it's it's definitely not something I'm going to go back and revisit mm. I, I think it was shot in a very interesting way there was some really interesting you know, artistic decisions there, and apparently mm. also slated off the uh, one of the art directors and said, "No, I did all that work myself." <laughs> well, I will fuck you then. So, <laughs> but uh, it's it's it really was, as I say, um, since since the last time we met, I've, I've challenged myself. Yes, yeah. and the other ones I have to mention that, uh, and so you know, normally we do three films, but I got to put these two together. I decided I would look through the collection of movies that I hadn't watched and pick the ones that sounded the most unlike me. So I ended up watching Louis Mayo's uh, Black Moon, which Ooh. is, it's, it's, I think I called it, I referred to it as aggressively French. <laughs> it literally, it's, it's an art film. That That's the go, sci-fi-ish kind of like post-apocalyptic. Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, it meets Alice in Wonderland. I was kind of halfway through, I went, this is Alice in Wonderland, but very, very French. The kind yeah. of movie where 15 minutes in, you discover there's a, a pudgy, 
Shetland pony that's been turned into a unicorn. And 10 minutes later, he actually says, no, you didn't see that. They don't exist. Nothing's real. And you go, well, bets are off on this one. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was, I, I still don't know if I enjoyed it. I watched it to the end. <laughs> I would probably watch it again. But it was definitely unlike what I normally go for. Yeah, that but sounds it's fair. really difficult to describe. And then the next day I went, well, I'm going to go with something that you're going to like. <laughs> I hit my first Werner Herzog. Oh, which one? I went with the Guerre Wrath of God. Oh, oh and yes. And it was fucking phenomenal. It's so It's amazing. a really good uh, film. I mean, it's it's yeah. not a... You know, I've been said for ages, I like the explosions, I like the, the chop socky, the, the Godfrey Ho stuff, but you hit me with a good film, I'm going to love yeah. it. That is a. It's another film. separate the art from the man thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's Klaus Kinski is a... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Once again, A repellent one. human being, but yeah. is just magnetic to watch. I could separate the art from the man this time. I know what Klaus Kinski, I've read about him. Mm. And yeah. I wouldn't want to be in the same room with him, you know, if he well, was still alive. Well, you won't be now. No, but even... Right. I wouldn't want to be within 20 foot of his grave, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just in case. <laughs> he's an intense mofo, yeah. and he's very intense in this movie. And it's if you haven't seen that, I'm not going to say anything about it you just watch people it. who've heard that name will be going oh yeah i think i think the thing about that yeah, herzog like because part of his public persona i think a lot of people think his films are a bit abstruse or like weirdly philosophical and there's a couple like that but a lot of them are just so primal um you know and that's the thing about Aguirre is like you're with them mm. through that and similar with fitzcarraldo you're with him yes, in the jungle and little Dieter needs to fly it's like there's such a um, uncompromising aspect to the to that bit of the filmmaking that it gives it such a um, you know it, it's not chin scratchy at all. No, his, it's, 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 films a, it's are a historical like allegory film, but it's shot like a documentary. Yeah, and you, I mean, there's scenes in there where you're mm-hmm. going, this feels like they've just plonked the camera down because this shit's happening in front of them. Yeah. You know, the scene on the on the river where one of those crews on the raft is mm. caught in a whirlpool and can't yeah. get out and it just feels like that just happened naturally and I mean it didn't I mean obviously it's part of it but yeah I really really enjoyed it so that's, that's uh, to be honest on the Herzog said it yeah. might have happened <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. uh, I might have picked yeah. that in right nice yeah, but I, yeah, if, yeah. That, if that's if that's what Werner Herzog can do I'm looking forward to trying a few others excellent <laughs> yeah well I was a bit afraid when you said a film that Doug would would like that it would be a three hour <laughs> Russian three hour Russian with... subtitled <laughs> exactly yeah. you would ship. I mean as I say it could still that's, be that. that's one of the reasons right. I picked Black Moon it sounded <laughs> abstract but it wasn't it's three hours it's funny though actually Black, <laughs> Black Moon is a film on paper that I thought I would like and then I saw it and I'm like no it doesn't <laughs> you know I'm all, I'm all about like 70s trippy sci-fi dystopias that exist in some kind of never never land but that plus Alice in Wonderland or like you know oil and um, it, it peanut has a butter. character who, who who basically talks to you through the power of shiatsu massage I mean he's, he's oh, kind of yeah. is he psychic is he just very touchy feely it's, yeah, it's, he wouldn't fly in today's society. No, definitely not. <laughs> and it's yeah, that whole movie could not be made today. I mean, for, for very obvious reasons in many wow. respects. But it's it's an interesting one. But definitely, if you got had a choice of the two, go the go the Herzog. Yeah. yeah. So what have you been watching? Alrighty. Well, previously on Ludicrously Specific, <laughs> uh, we spoke about Fantasy Island. So I oh ju- yes we I've, did. Did you watch oh, the Blumhouse I one? I just watched Blumhouse <laughs> Fantasy Island, and, and should we? 
Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> okay. I was very surprised. It um, it actually has a lot of the Fantasy Island touchstones. We've, If you've listened before, you'll know that I actually really like the TV show Fantasy Island and grew up with it. And it's got a lot of the, the usuals like the plane, the plane. But um, when we first see Rourke and uh, he, it's... And he's and gathering Pena's all his people. Yes, Michael Pena is Rourke and he's great. Uh, he's gathering all his uh, his staff around him, and he says, "Smiles, everyone, smiles," <laughs> which is yes. part of the show, and it, that started to win me over the the fact that the um, the the hotel is an exact replica <laughs> of the of the original show, right. and that the it works really well when it's not a horror movie, when it's Fantasy Island, mm. it works. It's uh, it's entertaining. The characters are fun. When it becomes has the horror aspects, it doesn't fit somehow. It's just a bit jarring. But it's it it really feels like a pilot, and uh, and and that um, the TV show could just be a straight fantasy right. island. Well, they were probably going for the whole. Blumhouse kind of like we'll make this a franchise hmm, kind yeah. of thing, right? But yeah, the, the the second film could, if they were to do, if it wasn't successful, I don't believe. But no, if there wasn't. was a second film, it wouldn't need the horror. Yeah, they've they kind of got it out of its system in the first one. But it's uh, yeah, Michael Pena is worth seeing. Oh, he's a solid, solid. He's character. always great. He's yeah, always man. solid. Yeah, absolutely, and he's he's really good as Rourke, and it's a fun film. Um, and Ryan Hansen is in there from the uh, Veronica Mars, and doing the Ryan Hansen type role. I've never the... seen Veronica Mars, so that's just okay. going straight. Yep, that's two nose here. So <laughs> if you're feeling left out at home, you're not alone. So, uh, Ryan Hansen uh, plays sort of party guy type characters, right. and guy. he's very, uh, but strangely likable, vacuous but likable. Um, <laughs> And again, just doing that same shtick, but it works. So, um, yeah, I recommend that. That was um, just expectations. Keep them in a, in a, in a middle to lower I, I would consider area. massive expectations for that one after seeing the trailers, but <laughs> keep them low. You'll be entertained. 90 minutes yeah. well spent. <laughs> and uh, only today I watched uh, The Midnight Family, the documentary. Oh, good. Yes, that's film excellent. Festival. Yes. It's it's harrowing to watch. It's great. Is it's um, to explain Midnight Family. It's a documentary uh, in Mexico. There in a city of nine million, there are only forty five ambulance government ambulances, which means that that has opened up an underground for ambulances to. Uh, a whole ambulance society. To... Pri- sort of a private sector yes, filling the gap absolutely. in a very unregulated, horrific way. Yes, absolutely. And mm. so not they're not all that well trained. Mm. And the the scenes where they are racing other ambulances to Jesus. get to the um, the scene of the accident is just Harrowing. I've used that word already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'll use it again. It is it's quite yeah. important. <laughs> it's it's yeah. It's um, it's edge of the seat stuff, and it. But it's also yeah. sad. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. yeah. No, no. Oh, I was gonna because I saw it at the festival. I sort of took a flyer on it. Um, I think it was just I, I wanted to go see a film that night, and it's like oh yeah. I I often like 
I, there was a period about 10 or 15 years ago where it felt like every documentary was shot on a bad handy cam. And so I got out of the habit of seeing documentaries at the cinema because mm. I'm like, this will literally look better on my TV. But <laughs> thankfully, we've gotten past that. And Midnight Family is mostly shot at night and on this really responsive low light camera. So it's it's um, beautifully shot. And it's just one guy who hung out with the Ochoa family. It's to say um, fly on the wall is just yeah. gives no credit to the fly or the wall. It's yeah. just so... So upfront. Yeah, there's no narration. It's all observational, and um, it just uh, let, let watches the things unfold. And instead of being an ongoing, uh, you know, this and then this and then this and then this, it choose, carefully sort of chooses mm. a few scenes to really let play out in length, and each of which sort of exposes another aspect of the moral crises and the moral Mm. quandaries that this system creates. Because, of course, they're spending all this money speculatively on this ambulance, but there's no guarantee that they'll get paid for Mm. taking the person there. So they have to hope that maybe that person will pay them or that the hospital will pay them. or it's. And then there's the time that they go further out in order to to take them to a more expensive place. It's um, yeah. taking uh, taking a risk on the um, on the critical matter of getting the person to the hospital in the first place. I mean, there's just so much. But wow, it sounds it, fascinating. It never, yeah, yeah. It, never, yeah. it yeah. never comments yeah. on the action that we're seeing. You make your own comments on it because you can't help but do so. But it, I don't. It doesn't seem slanted. It just no. Well, and he, um, the, the, it's an American filmmaker who went down there, and he just became friends with the family and just spent time with them. And I think, um, I, it's, so this is a real weird, funny, um, sideways, but we'll go there as I picked up a Wallace Shawn book the other week, because he was supposed to become coming for Auckland writers festival. Inconceivable. Um, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That wacky, funny guy from princess bride. I'm like, Oh, I'll pick up his book of essays. Oh, really? You didn't I, know about, uh, Wallace uh, Shawn being a very playwright poet, type no no that he was a far left like kind of um anti-fascist um person and so so this book night thoughts which i expected to have some kind of (laughs) night thoughts yeah i I still thought it would be something about like when you go out in new york at night you see these people doing that what's up (laughs) Um, and and instead it's about the complicity that we all have in our um ongoing class war and the unlikelihood that um, of the long-term survival of what he calls the lucky in the face of the complete abuse of the what he calls the unlucky in the uh, display. It's a very timely. Welcome to the book resistance, well. Mazzini. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but it also talks about how he has a lot of talk about how you know it's he feels like you know there's a lot of people put a lot of stock in good and evil, and he's like, I just tend to think that if you put most people into the same system no matter who they are, that if you give them all the same material conditions, it'll produce the same results. And I think that's, you know, with with documentaries like Midnight Family, mm. uh, it just, it gets that kind of, you just get in there with them and you, I mean, I, you feel like why they have to make these choices and now they feel forced to do that. And they you don't come away thinking they're an evil family, but they're a family that's had to do horrible things mm. Mm. yeah it's um and, and and with the whole Wallace Shawn thing it's um 
because I, I first saw him, of course, as every and most people would have in Princess Bride. Yeah. Um, but then because I really enjoyed his role, I did seek out Dinner with Andre, which is uh, not as um, edge of the seat as... <laughs> <laughs> Never seen it, but I have heard about yes. it. Uh, yeah, midnight political family. thriller, I believe, that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, two people sitting in a restaurant yes. discussing life in general. And is it waiting for to... Guffman that has the My Dinner with Andre action figures? Yes. Yes, yeah. okay. And, yes, of course, Sim- uh, The Simpsons is where I learned about that from the My Dinner with Andre video game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bonnot or Witty Rapid. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun fact. I mentioned Andre, um, My Dinner with Andre in passing on um, Twitter, and Andre Gregory liked my tweet. Oh, wow. Uh, so apparently he's really bored right now. <laughs> shout out. Shout out to Andre. <laughs> God, if only my dinner with Andre was my dinner with Andre the Giant. Oh, oh wow. I would have loved that. <laughs> and we can never have that remake now. Sad. And my my third film, I will take a breath for this. <gasps> Seven stages to achieve eternal bliss by passing through the gateway chosen by the Holy Storch. Gesundheit. <laughs> That's a <laughs> long title. Uh, wow. Another recent one. So all three of these um, were um, uh, recent. This one um, has uh, Taika Waititi in it. Oh, okay. It um, has uh, Kate Micucci. I don't know her. It's... Um, oh, what's the uh, the singing duo? Of Garfunkel and Oates. That's the oh, one. okay. Yeah. Um, and Go look any, that up. any um, number of uh, Maria Bamford has a has a, um, a cameo. Uh, Mark McKinney from the um, Canadian. Darren's looking at me as if I would know that. Do you, yeah. He knows I'm the one who just goes. Yeah. It's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, from Band Candy or um, oh, from uh, Kids in the Hall. Kids in the Hall. Oh, okay, there maybe I go. do know that. There. <laughs> now you mentioned. I've known him for fifteen you mentioned plus an, years. An obscure <laughs> movie I saw once twenty years ago, and uh, yeah, now I remember. Okay. We don't quite read each other's minds just <laughs> no, yet, or but, finish each other's. But sandwiches. it's a. Uh, <laughs> actually, we do. And that's really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's. But it's a, a very fun, very dark film about a, uh, a couple who um, buy this apartment and then discover that um, cultists will break into, the, um, into that apartment and kill themselves in the bathroom, um, as, by, as oh, told right. by the okay. Holy Storch. Um, and so they uh, also make very awkward friendship with the uh, the detective who is there every single night because there is a death every single night, played by Dan Harmon from uh, the creator of Community, the creator of uh, Rick and Morty, or co-creator, please don't come at me, the co-creator <laughs> of Rick and Morty. As just, it's a lot of fun, it's dark, it's uh, dark as balls, um, but it's... I really liked it. It's my sensibility. The ending, probably not quite as good as the rest of it. But if you if you like something that's very off the wall, and um, but and very very dark on the chuckle front, then uh, I would recommend that one. Cool. And it's got a cool title. Yes, which cool I will title. never remember. So I'll just be like, Holy I can say blah, it again. Blah, blah, blah. No, yeah, I'll no. say it slower. No, please don't. <laughs> please don't. We're going to run long as it is. So I had been cranking the documentaries quite hard actually um the um and the first one uh, some friends brought up recently which i had never seen or even heard of which was a doc a new zealand documentary done at the dawn of mmp by tony satorius where he followed the wellington central 
parliamentary race uh, called Campaign, and it's on the New Zealand on screen um, site, and it's fantastic because it's a t- another like fly on the wall thing, mm-hmm. but um, it's in this perfect era where uh, you're just following around people with a camera and this non-threatening digital video camera, and the, a they don't have the media training to be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. B, nothing's happening in email or mobile yet, so it's like you can get all the discussions at, at least one side of them on the phone as they're making calls. And so there's this is um, you know there's like five parties going for the seat, and one of them is um, X Dick, Dick Preble, and then there's uh, the National Labor uh, Alliance and united and it's the woman from united who's currently in the seat um but they've just switched from first past the post to mmp which um very quick aside for non-kiwis listening uh it changes the way that seats in parliament are allocated and so it means that if a um smaller party gets elected in any single district um they get extra seats as a result um so uh it they don't have to meet the other eyes required minimum 5% threshold. And so this is something that is now just, we understand this is how it works, Mm. but there's a great scene about 10 minutes in it where one of the national guys is, I don't think anyone in this campaign is going to settle stand for that sort of thing. That that doesn't appeal to the Kiwi sense of fair play. (laughs) Um, And then you can watch in real time as the the national party begins to realize that actually they're going to be in a much stronger position if they let their candidate lose so the act candidate can win only nobody's actually directly told the national candidate this oh, wow. and so who's this young guy um who uh i wish i could remember the names i i hadn't thought i was going to talk about it but i was just scrolling through my old letterbox i'm like oh i have to tell everyone to watch campaign (laughs) um and it's so um it's and it's also just for anyone who didn't live through the mid 90s it is such an amazing introduction to what it was like and for anyone who did live in the mid 90s (laughs) it is literally like finding an old flannel shirt and a Jane's Addiction tape. And, you know, <laughs> the hair gets really long at the back yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah, and um, but yeah, it's, uh, it made me want to do uh, observational documentary this year. Except there's no way that you could get the same sort of. Because um, no, we're much more used mm-hmm. to the system. Yeah. I mean, I remember that first MMP election clearly because I mean, the ones before that there was two parties and one minor party. There was on the left. Labour on the right national and there was social credit which would get two seats every year yeah. and never do much about apart from that. MMP came along and about eight billion parties suddenly formed. The yeah. New Zealand communists ran, I remember <laughs> that year. I didn't know we had communists in New Zealand, but yeah. apparently we did. We had the McGillicuddy Serious Party for yes. and they mm-hmm. were the comedy. They they option. make a brief appearance. Yeah. Yes. So there was just all these parties. The natural law party turned up, there was this, that, the other, there was people that would just uh, one party for Let's stop greyhound racing. Yeah. Let's do this, and six people. Isn't that an act? Or not New Zealand first. <laughs> that sounds like New Zealand yeah, yeah. first now. Yep, yeah. but uh, there's, there's, there was just almost chaos because it was a complete change. No one knew how this was going to work, and we mm. borrowed that system from Germany. And to be perfectly honest, thank you Germany because yeah. it's made politics a lot more interesting and a lot fairer overall. Because mm. you know you can't guarantee each year who's going to be the man there. Whereas last time it was 
Labour would be mm. in for a couple of terms, and then Tony would be a swing away, and bang, National would be in, and it would yeah. just be swapping back and forth. Mm. And now there's there's a lot of more. It's lot more still that, but there's just uh, the makeup of yeah. each. But Winston Peters gets to decide to go when <laughs> yeah. we say things. Oh, yeah. dear. Oh, well. <laughs> Pretty. Um, so to yeah and. There's, there's, uh, did you guys see the Five Bloods, by the way? Oh, the no, new Spike Lee yet? No, no. Okay, maybe we'll talk about it some other time, or maybe we'll do something around it. Oh, don't, don't give them um, homework. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it, it's, it's fun. Um, but, um, it, it ties into a lot of the, um, racial issues that are currently at play. But, um, the film I'd rather give a little bit of oxygen to, which is, I, I quite like the Five Bloods, so it's not a diss on that. But it's a film called The Blood Is at the Doorstep, which is on Amazon Prime, and was briefly, uh, I think the filmmaker had made it free on YouTube for a week or two, and then some of his rights holders said, actually, just because <laughs> it's relevant doesn't mean you can do that. And I, at the moment, I can't find it. But it's a documentary about a police killing in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, of an um, unarmed black man who was um, sleeping in a public square outside the Starbucks, and um, the woman at Starbucks called and cops came at two different times and checked that he was fine but then the third one showed up and got really antagonistic and started hitting him with a baton and he he managed to get the baton they got baton away from him and so the cop shot him 14 times um and so that follows the two years post that case and the slow um grind of justice and people attempting to achieve justice for him and um and it's mostly entrenched documentary, low. Uh, I don't think there's any narration and, and mostly observed. And one of the things I really thought was quite strong about it is that it's not a film that's black and white. And I mean, it is in racial terms, I suppose. But um, what I mean by that is that it doesn't paint simple villains and simple mm-hmm. uh, that. And there's a scene where... Um, there's a couple interviews with the police chief where you can see his frustration. And there's been this dialogue recently about defunding the police and people are like, what is that? And it's like, well, it's not getting rid of the police, but it's saying there's all these things we've asked police to do. But if we thought, think about society in terms of a, let's make, let's make a sector called the society of or the safety system. That's like the health system. And if we had had 200 years where we only had hospitals and the rest of, you know, the health sector was 5%, that would be crazy. But that's kind of what we have with the police sector. Mm. And you can see these moments where he's saying, like, everybody's solution is to give officers 40 hours more training, you know, and that's not going to help mental health problems. That's not going to help, you know, guns on the streets. That's not going to help all of these things. And you can always see the gears turning so slow that it's like, yeah, we are asking police to do much too much and do things they're not qualified to do and then conversely there's also this convergence and then divergence between um the african-american family who's um the the man who was killed belongs to um you know his um, mother and um brothers are both characters and then um the black lives matter um people that come on the back of the ferguson uh uprisings to um jump on the train so to speak and Mm -hmm. that that suddenly their tactics are going in a different direction from what the family wants and uh so the actual nuance of it um in a um 
recent time, we're certainly in social media, there's been uh, a large, a vast shortage of nuance in many accounts was really welcome. Um, really, and the one other um, documentary that's very different, but also um, really blew me away. It was a film on movie called Rat Film by a guy named Theo Anthony, which starts with looking at the history of rat control in Baltimore, um, which sounds like a very weird specific thing, but it very quickly gets into um, a lot of the history of it. it has to do with racial divisions in Baltimore and what neighborhoods were illegally segregated or legally divided by race in the 1930s and how that map plays out in the 2010s and those those decisions from 80 years ago still just filter into everyday wow. life and it's a very strange film in that or experimental I guess is the word because there are sections with narration there's sections where he's just hanging out with a guy who you know his job is to work for the pest control department he's, he's like I love rats they pay my bills and, so, and <laughs> you know um, these people who are doing these VR kind of experiments of going into places as rats these narrations talking about <laughs> um, old the old studies that have gone around it and about other things. So it's, it's throwing a bunch of ideas and kind of systematically building a space around it, but it builds to a really powerful kind of sense of at the end that this historic, any historic moment that we find ourselves in is the accumulation of all of these decisions of the past that have built the rat maze that shapes where we are now. So, um, so, uh, so yeah, speaking of that, let's go to let's, heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> but there's some good suggestions for you. Yeah, we'll, I'll try and put yeah. some links up if I remember this time. I've been neglecting the, the Twitter site, but I'll make sure I get links to some of these these yeah. documents. Well, we've been neglecting the podcast, about. so you know what's yeah, good exactly. for the... Uh, we needed to recharge yes, and I, actually get I, back in the same house. So. Yes. So we, as I said at the top of the, uh, you know, several hours ago, top of the show, three films with dialogues sampled by heavy metal bands that all start with the letter C. And I uh, chose this topic, and I chose the movies. So as you can probably imagine, we're going to have some ninjas in there. Mm. Oddly enough, no. <laughs> oddly enough, no. We are going to start off... I, I think the oddest thing is actually they're all good movies. <laughs> I, I, we haven't talked about them, but I feel like at least like... <laughs> I think we can we can say that hand on yeah. heart. Yeah. It's, I did pick some movies that are outside of my normal genre. I am trying to expand yes, my genre. The, I do the, the, the normal genre being bad. I've been bad. I've been, been awesomely bad. Yeah. And, but we started off with a best Oscar winner and I look back you know a couple of days ago over the best Oscar winners over the past 15 odd years and I could probably count on a blind carpenter's left hand how many best Oscar winners I've actually watched hmm. um, oh then if I think my best favourite best Oscar winner was probably Chicago which Dawn and I watched on lockdown oh, and really? it's still a fantastic film God, oh, okay. a, I love it okay. it's a great film oh, there's a, no, oh, there's no, a no. new division there's, there's a new division here I love Chicago <laughs> you're not an editor the I cell, can tell you the that for free tango still raises goosebumps on my arm mm. so you're, I'm right you're wrong shut up <laughs> <laughs> as, as somebody said about um, the, the make him laugh scene in uh, Singing in the Rain do you know why they didn't cut there because they didn't, didn't have, have to. to. Yeah. <laughs> Watch Chicago with that in mind. <laughs> you are, of course, talking about my favorite movie of all time, which is Singing in the Rain. So I cannot disagree with that. Mm. that okay, but I still like Chicago. Mm. <laughs> okay. But the this first movie, as I say, was a Best Oscar winner, and it was Armadeus. Yes. And Armadeus, directed by Milos Forman. I pronounce that properly. Good. I'm getting a nod of approval. Sure. Milos. It's uh, well. Uh, let, 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 the, let, let the interwebs tell yeah. us. Yes, but Milos is how I've heard it. <laughs> uh, from 1984, 
and it was sampled by a Finnish melodic death metal band, one that I have heard of, Children of Bodom. It is not the type of metal I normally listen to because it is serious death metal. There is death metal growls. The vocals are, I don't know. Do you want to sing us a few bars? Uh, I could probably, if, um, <laughs> just let me rub my... Yeah, yeah like cookie. That's, that's, that's the right. one. <laughs> <laughs> and the children of them have been around for a long time. They formed in 1993, only disbanded last year. Mm. So um, they've been around for a long time. The song keep, t- keep in mind we're talking about musicians from the 1700s. 1700s. <laughs> so, so, so we've got movies speaking. of 1700s, and we've got a uh, you know, band from the from the 90s. And the movie I have never actually seen Amadeus, which is the reason I really picked it. I thought I, you know, one of these days I've got to watch it, and why not watch it for this podcast? And two of us watched the director's cut. One of us watched the theatrical. Doug watched the theatrical. Director's Cut's about 20 minutes longer, and I think um, Darren will be the one to tell us about the differences there. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, it is basically a biopic on Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and his professional rivalry, which is played up in this movie to a more f- real nemesis-level rivalry with fellow composer Salieri. Anthony Salieri. Salieri. Who is basically the lead of the of He's the film. I, Long enough when it came up in the credits, and up came F. Murray Abrams, Mm-hmm. Uh, title first and he's playing he's not playing Mozart mm-hmm. and at the end of the movie I'm like well he deserved that he deserved yep. his best actor Oscar mm-hmm. it's it's an astonishing performance mm-hmm. it is tortured it made me cry it's gonna make me cry again talking about it oh wow yeah. I'm not freaking kidding he is the heart of this movie it's amazing yeah so what is it about it that touches you it's, it's so much as the... it's the thing with one gesture he can completely change the scene mm. yeah so he can be enraged talking about this this composer this upstart young composer who's coming taken over he's the court composer for a, and this would be the viennese court um, yes. in the yeah. viennese court and then there's the serenity the when serenity. he's talking about he the, same the music the music yes. he starts talking about the music and on and dime he changes mm. and the oh, scene just completely changes it is unbelievable one of the best performances i've ever seen mm. Mm. Oh, no, I agree. It's um, yeah, but carry on. You you you're doing the introduction. <laughs> carry on. We will we'll, we'll interject at that point. Of course, the I'm not going to go too deep into Armadas because if yeah, Mozart, he hasn't yeah, done yeah. any research, I, I didn't do the research. Oh. I just enjoyed it. I didn't want to go and start deep diving into it because yeah. it's just that sort of movie. You can go mm. and watch it again. Three hours long. It doesn't feel like enough, as you said. Absolutely. Right. I mean, there was. I, I did copious notes on the other two movies. I wrote two notes for this one because I just enjoyed it so much. Yeah, and it's. I mean, Mozart, of course, one of the most famous composers in the world. Salieri, one of the most famous composers of his time, and the the rivalry that's in this movie. They they basically played up that that in apparently one thing I found out that there was a play after well after both their deaths, which basically said that Salieri poisoned Mozart. Oh, because right. Mozart died in his 30s. He died incredibly mm. young. One of the most prolific, prolific and, you know, a prodigy of his time. He was composing at the age of four or five. Mm. He was composing symphonies before, you know, the age of 10 and full operas. And 30, I think 35 years of age when he died. And this play apparently came out and basically said, well, he was such a, a rival of him, he killed him. And there's no evidence of that. 
there's absolutely no evidence. And every contemporary report says that he did. He went to all of his performances. He was always the first one to tell him how good he was. And they had a professional rivalry because, yes, there was it was like any job. If you're the court composer and along comes this young upstart that maybe could become you take over your job, yeah, yeah you are always going to have that, that tension. But, mm. And but then, of was. course, in this case, uh, Salieri knew about Mozart since Mozart was about five years old. Mm. He was he was he was a, a, a sensation. He would yeah. he would uh, went on I think a four year tour <laughs> with his his family and his sisters. There's a and a, a great YouTube channel I'm going to uh, put a link to uh, called History Buffs, uh, which is one of my favorite things. He's both a movie buff and a history buff. So he does <laughs> deep dives into the historical. Accuracies and inaccuracies in a movie, and he does a, a great one on Amadeus. I watched directly after the movie, and it really gives some nice background around it. But um, yeah, as I said, the, the afterwards later on that night, while playing a few video games, I put on some classical music, and I didn't put on Mozart. Mm-hmm. I put on Salieri because I'd <laughs> never listened to Salieri, and he was apparently one of the richest composers yeah. at the time. He died to, with a huge fortune, and Mozart died completely penniless. But he's he was he's just kind of fallen out of of the public mm, eye, yeah. And it's it's fantastic, and it is public domain. So you should put in his piano concerto right after this, <laughs> now. right now. I told you. And we're back. <laughs> Fantastic. There we go. There's an oh, editing job. Oh, yeah. the tear away. Oh, yeah. It's, oh. yeah. So definitely, it's, <laughs> it's, it is a movie where you just watch it back and you, you drink it in. The production design is phenomenal. Mm. The performances are great. Elephant in the Room, we've got to address once again. The Emperor is played by Jeffrey Jones, who once again... Mm. Speaking a, of, yes, yeah. looking past people's horrific doings. He basically yeah. was... He destroyed his career by... Uh, photographing a, yeah. a 14-year-old boy. Yeah, by destroying other yeah. people's lives. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's that one crushes me because he's a, such it's a great comedic actor. brilliant performance, yes. too. He's a it's great performance. He? Yeah. he played that wonderfully arch character in yeah. some of my favorite movies. And he's in Beetlejuice, of course. Ferris Bueller's Day Ferris Off. Ferris Bueller's yeah. Day Off. He's, he's just... Howard he's, the Duck. Howard the Duck. Well, <laughs> we all have our thoughts. The art, spots, not but. the actor. It's, no, but and we'll be... Yeah, he's in time and time tune. again we will be saying this throughout yeah. various <laughs> yeah. podcasts. One of one of the movies we watch this all the time is Stay Tuned, which we've probably yes. watched half a dozen times. I started. It's, it's a genre of comedy, oh. and it's just a great little comedy sketch comedy idea, and it's mm. got animation in it by Chuck Jones, which I mean, oh mm. cool. And Jeffrey Jones plays the devil, and he is hilarious. And unfortunately, as I say, once this came along, career was dead in the water. Mm. He's gone back to some stage acting recently. But I think he just, did an appearance in the t- the TV movie for Deadwood. Yeah, he was in Deadwood, and he, was, he did uh, a couple of small roles. But mm. it, it's just it's his career, the big screen was yeah. shot to shit. And it's it's a damn shame because he was an incredibly talented actor, and just he made a decision, and he, he had to live with that. You know, it's it's something he didn't need to do. Yeah. But back to the the movie itself, it's it's a stunner. It's um, I, Can I ask I, really quickly. Um, 
what are your personal relationships with Mozart's music going in? And like, are you? Did you guys grow up on classical, or did you? I I know bits of classical, but I can't say that I grew up with it. It's um, it was the seventies, the sixties music that was more than, <laughs> yeah, yeah. more than classical in terms of my family household. I play any type of music. Music has right. been a real important part of my life. And one of the things that uh, when when Don and I first started going out uh, was I bought uh, for you know, ten bucks each triple CDs of they were called cinema classics, and it was classical music made famous in movies was the tagline on it and. I remember the first CD was my favourite, started with things like Pomp and Circumstance, but there was uh, Mozart's Requiem in the middle, mm. and which is just amazing mm. to listen to. And if you're driving oh, yeah. at night with that playing, it's just, it is pretty damn cinematic, even yeah. if you're just driving down to the bloody shops. So I've, I've definitely listened to a lot of his, his music. As I say, I'm... Buying milk has never seemed so... It's never seemed so. You put the 1812 overgill on the <laughs> yeah, way yeah. back, a bit of chocolate. <laughs> yeah, let's make some coffee. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely have to listen to more Salieri, I've decided, because mm. I know Mozart. I've listened to a lot of Mozart. You know, I like I like my heavy metal, my techno, my, my side trance, and I like my, my classical. But I've definitely got to really... This, this Some of the, the music that was... The music in this movie, the way it was wrapped in, mm. was just phenomenal, too, because... It was organic. Organic. It was there was, they'd be talking organic. about it. You'd be hearing. There's a great scene where Salieri's discussing one of his 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 pieces and mentioning each of the instruments, and the instruments are mm. just coming in mm. in that perfect timing behind him. And as you say, it's seamless. It, it, it you just get swept away. So I made sure I watched this very early in the day, so I was wide awake for it, fresh for it, mm. and it's a great way to start a day. If you're going to start a day with a three-hour movie, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I. I said I, I wrote two notes. Um, <laughs> one of them, and I, I think it's not taking anything away from F. Murray Abrams' performance because that was just stunning. But um, one thing that made his the old Salieri so good was the makeup, which mm-hmm. was done by Dick Smith, who um, from uh, who did the makeup for the Planet of the Apes, it's, Exorcist, uh, The Godfather. Yeah, we can go on and on and on. It's, uh, the, and a movie we'll be discussing later. Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. And then there was uh, Vincent Chevalli mm. was the very first actor on the screen. Oh, it's nice to see him, Vincent Chevalli. He's, yeah, he's, he's Chevalli. Yeah, he's he's, uh, he's, he's the right. that guy yeah. actor. Yeah. It's uh, I think probably one of his most recognised roles would be the shouty ghost from Ghost. Yep, the subway ghost. Yep. I still haven't seen Ghost. Oh, wow. I haven't seen it either, but I know that, so I've seen that scene. Because oh, okay. Well, that's lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm <laughs> yeah. talking to myself. Oh, I think myself. I'll probably watching some stage. I'm like, I, I don't think Ghost is the most obscure thing to throw out in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have probably never heard of this movie. <laughs> well, no, 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 it's in the room. In the room. <laughs> we may have some millennials watching. You never know. Anyway, we'll go, we'll go back to talk about Werner Herzog deep cuts, which everybody will have heard. <laughs> but I, I don't think we're going to be discussing um, Amadeus in a scene-by-scene oh, type no, thing. Yeah. But, the podcast isn't but that one long. thing I do have <laughs> to say is the very first time I saw it, and still up till now, it has one of, for me, one of the best acted scenes I have ever seen in a film, and it still holds up. And that is the scene near the end where you have Amadeus and Salieri uh, making music and it's the, mm. the tension that is mm. brought to it. it it's edge of the seat stuff and all they are doing is saying notes and making and actually mm. writing music they're not playing it no 
but it's uh, it has a, a a tension of creation to it, which is just I've never seen anything like it in any no, other film. Uh, please, please, please send in your <laughs> your <laughs> other. Really, it's really interesting because as a musician, that's something. You're right. In general, I see and see very little and feel like usually it's kind of like somebody does like here's a riff, follow along, and then suddenly they're playing um, shallow or something, you know, and um, or or whatever. And in fact, the only song one I can think of that sort of has it's not exactly the same kind of thing, but this uh, falling slowly scene in once is one of the only oh, ones that okay. even had sort of a patina of like. This feels like what it's like for two people figuring it out, but um, I mean that's totally different because that's mm. a, the meat cute as opposed to this thing where you have this ineffable mystery of what makes Mozart a genius when he's just this portrayed as this cackling buffoon. And that, mm. if I like it a little less than you guys, I still really love it. But Jesus, I could have heard about half a dozen left. Less cackles from Tom <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it, is, it is one of the it, more annoying giggles uh, you hear. In, in, yeah. I mean, that but, scene, it's also the fact that he is... Uh, Mozart, at this point, is near death's door. I mean, he looks yeah. it in every way. And yet he has this sweaty energy to carry on mm. doing this with... Salieri, who is sitting there writing out everything that he's saying yeah. and occasionally helping out, but mostly it's Mozart doing it. But it, I've never seen, I've never seen a scene like it before or since. And it's, it was just, that is a hairs on the back of the neck type thing mm. for me. Yeah, I mean, both of them are nominated for the same leading actor. I mean, that's, that's, that's back before the, the category yeah. fraud that's rampant nowadays. Yeah. So, yeah. One of them would have been supporting, supporting actor, but no, both. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Tom Holtz, it's, it is a remarkable way to perform it. Apparently, because it's based on a play originally. This Peter Schaefer, so, yeah. Schaefer and it's, play, it's yeah. acknowledged that the play is considered to be a fantasia. Yeah. And that it's not, it's, <laughs> not, it's not a historical document. I mean, there's a lot of, of things that have been changed for dramatic bunts, but yeah. I mean, Tom Hulse is he is he as you say he is he he brings the comedy to it because mm-hmm. he is such a an odd character and Mozart I'm guessing probably was an odd character and you yeah. can't mm-hmm. you know at the age of five start getting paraded in front of kings playing piano blindfolded without yeah. having a few kind of this is not a normal thing but his his performance I, I love the fact that he followed up this this is the, the most amazing thing his his follow up included one year later the movie Slam Dance. <laughs> and it's from Oscar winning as Mozart to Slam Dance. He only did, got a very. It's actually snip. a drama, so I'm because yeah. there is it, Slam Dance is such a badly named film <laughs> that uh-huh. the actual tagline for it was "It's not about dancing." <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's a metaphor for something. It's I never about just, slamming. I'm just <laughs> I just assumed it was a knockoff of Electric Boogaloo. I'm no, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I totally understand why. But yeah, it was. Um, yeah, but it, it's a, it's <laughs> just a poor choice on everybody's <laughs> part, I think. Yeah. But but it's I mean it's also the other thing is when you have a a color in the paint box that's as strong as F. Murray Abraham's performance, and you have that detailed thing, you know, to make it not feel like the dry character drama that you kind of. I mean, I avoided Amadeus. This is my second viewing, um, but I avoided it initially for twenty some years because I tend to view the like the big swath of 80s Oscar winners is mm-hmm. just you know There's this sort of 
Killing Dice Fields, boxes. Merchant Ivory. Yeah. Like, Who hasn't slept through worthy. Last Emperor? <laughs> <laughs> I did in 1989. Yeah, this is you can watch it again and sleep through it again. Yeah, and I will. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Uh, but um, yeah, so I think that's three thumbs up if it's oh, slightly definitely. higher than yeah, the other. Definitely. The reason I brought up the... Um, your familiarity before was one thing that took me out of a, a little bit this time was just I had recently seen five minutes of Bohemian Rhapsody, which is the one of the world's worst biopics from what I saw, and it was very much of that kind of like um, you know somebody's like washing machine breaks and saying oh well looks like another one bites the dust and then somebody's <laughs> eyes get big I mean, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't literally happen but it might as well and 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 so i was trying to calibrate during this like just how cutesy are they being with their you know because there is like you know they they do cue like you know that mozart needs to write something for somebody's death and it's like is everyone going hey Hey, Emma, I bet the Requiem's coming. Hey, what do you, what do you think? Oh, you're right, Nigel. <laughs> I, I do like that one, but, um, but, but it, yeah, I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, it didn't really play that way very much, but it does, it does take you through the greatest hits in a structured way um, that, mm. yeah, I guess I just noticed that construction, but. Yeah, yeah. But every, when everything fires like that, it doesn't really matter. But, I mean, it, I've seen it, a lot of movies based on plays where you go, this is a mm. play. You, where you write off the first five minutes and I mentioned this before you go this is a play this is stagey and talky yeah. and this while this has got a lot of dialogue it's, it's the sweeping grandeur this, it's the grandeur of it. it is it fills the screen and it, I would have now I'm quite regretting that an episode on the big screen yeah I really would have loved to well, come go, on Hollywood yeah, on. No, actually like right now <laughs> I mean I'm in New Zealand right now I mean there's everything from Moulin Rouge to Fight Club to Planet of the Apes to a bunch of Christopher Nolan films to Titanic hitting the big screens to ma- fill the gap. So, mm. um, you know, we may have a chance yet. Yeah. Uh, you know, come on, the Hollywood in Evandale. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. You can, you can wake up. <laughs> Please. Come out of hibernation. Uh, I, do, I do like the, the person on Twitter who said that uh, the uh, Oscars have only been delayed so that uh, they could rob Sonic the Hedgehog of the best picture. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen it, so can't judge. <laughs> I can't but, judge myself. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe Jim Carrey is a shoe-in supporting <laughs> The, the play thing is funny because I've actually also seen the Amadeus staged here, right. and I noticed the credit at the start. And usually, when I see a film that's based on a play, if I don't know about halfway through, I'm like, "Oh yeah." yeah. And, and this is was literally the opposite. By halfway through, I'd forgotten it was set on a play, even though I'd seen the bloody play. <laughs> oh, that's great. I was, yeah, yeah. Oh, and 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 actual fact, you will be able to see the play again on YouTube. It's part of the National Theatre. Um, they've been doing a whole bunch of the oh the, the NT Live yeah yeah the NT Live and I believe that's their last one so that'll be the end of July okay so keep an eye I saw it, I saw it here so mm. I'd be interested to see the NT's take on it which I imagine is different from Oliver Drivers by uh, some degree <laughs> um, <laughs> you could be right 
Right, so we're oh. time to move on into our so, next. We're going in order of metalness. Yes, and and it was very easy to decide, um, despite its many virtues, that Amadeus was the least metal. He's uh, more punk. Film. He's uh, I mean, you remember Falco? Salieri yeah. could be yeah. a little metal. Yeah, you never rocked me, Amadeus, back in the eighties, yeah, yeah. which oh. is where I learned about most. Salieri's uh, more of an Elliot Smith yeah. type, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we got our German teacher to translate the lyrics to "Rock Me, Amadeus" Did in you? school, and she said it's just saying about how all the ladies love him because he's a punk. And we went, was he? And she went, probably. Kind of a 1780s version of, of a punk. So, yeah, he's definitely much more punk rock on this one. But we'd, we'd if we have younger listeners who haven't heard Rock Me Amadeus, they should, no, we should listen right now or will we cut <laughs> it copy. in? I don't know. Let's find out. Let's find oh, out if copyright mystery. strikes will get us. Yeah. But uh, you never know. Anyway, <laughs> so we had, a, we had a fierce debate as to which of our um, remaining films were more metal. Fierce. And, it lasted um, all of a minute. <laughs> uh, but, um, but it was fierce. <laughs> uh, the, ne- the next film is uh, Altered States uh, from no- another 80s film, another uh, Academy Award nominated film. Um, and do you want to say how we wound up choosing Altered States? We did. It was uh, sampled by a Swift. Swift? Swift. Swift. Sorry. Uh, I'll try that again. It was sampled by Coroner, who are a Swiss thrash metal band. Oh, it's much better. Much better, thank you. There we go. Second take is Second take is much better. Yeah. Swiss. <laughs> uh, they, they formed in the 80s, 1983, uh, and went through to 1996, uh, but reformed again in 2010. They did say they were going to be putting out a new album this year, according to their website, but right. whether that's um, eventuating or not, of course, due to many circumstances, we'll find out. And it's the only one of the three songs that was an instrumental, so... While they are a thrash metal band, it's actually quite a nice melodic piece, and it's just got some some dialogue, sort of wrapped into the middle of it. So it's it's a very nice nice um nice song actually. I quite enjoyed it. Do you feel different now? Yes. Less anxious. Much less. Do you have any special feeling? I feel like my heart is being touched by Christ. We I actually only heard these songs as we showed up, but it's the one I'm most curious to hear more of um, uh, now Altered States for those who haven't seen it is based on the real life very loosely based on (laughs) the real life sensory take experiments that John Lilly uh, did in the 1970s Um, the screenwriter Patty Shutt Shaevsky, um, who's most famous for Network, and I'm mad as hell I'm not going to take it anymore uh, came up with the idea of doing a script based around this and so he wrote uh, script and he got Arthur Penn on board to direct it and then he and Arthur Penn had a falling out and disagreement and so Arthur Penn quit um, by the which point Arthur Penn had already cast uh, William Hurt in his debut role William Hurt having been on um, stage and actually had gone to uh, Juilliard with Christopher Reeve and Robin Williams so that would have been one interesting <laughs> <laughs> evening on stage there Um and so the, the, the story that Ken Russell tells, who directed it, um, who's never to be fully trusted, uh, <laughs> was, that he, was that he was the 27th replacement. Um, he had come off doing a bio, one of his many biopics of composers, weirdly enough. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he did mo- most famously to us, Listomania, one of my favorite <laughs> um, Ken Russell films ever. But he also did one on Mahler and... Uh, um, and then he had done Valentino. He did Tchaikovsky uh, as well, didn't he? I yeah. think so. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's a few. And lots yeah. of BBC TV movies yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm. And um, he came on to this, and uh, because he had a strong visual sense, and that was something that was important. And he certainly 
had demonstrate a yes, yes. <laughs> and immediately started fighting with Patty Chayefsky about everything. Patty didn't like the color of the isolation tank, and you know I, I, why he didn't just direct the film. I'll never there, know. As someone who's written some short films with you, yes, there is nothing less important on a set than a writer and I've said that to you many times they tell me that these short films for 48 hour yeah. films contests I, I would be on the set saying hey I shouldn't be here what do you need me to pick up I'll just hold this I've, I've literally held yeah. a tripod in, in high wind because that's the most important thing any writer can do on set yes okay. <laughs> it's yeah but the thing is that because he developed this property he was just so attached to it and in the end he took his name off the film because he was so unhappy with a lot of Ken Russell's decisions including just basic coverage of scenes. I mean, one of the things that's quite striking about Altered States, is, uh, apart from the obvious things that are quite striking about Altered <laughs> States, like the, you know, the goat with seven eyes, which is why I always <laughs> debate that it's the most metal here, uh, <laughs> is that um, there are these lengthy dialogue scenes that aren't really covered like normal dialogue scenes. There'll be like a very key camera move and it'll move back and the camera's often in motion for quite a bit as they're giving these long discussions or they'll have very complicated overlapping of lines that people are arriving and catching up on what's the latest in the world of sensory develop, you know, deprivation <laughs> experiments. Um, so that was part of what Ken Russell brought to it, along with a bunch of crazy uh, visual effects including some by uh, a fellow named Dick Smith. Uh, <laughs> ludicrously, uh, ludicrously specific. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we'd only managed to find a third one. Um, but really, yeah, kind of a dream team as well. You know, Jordan Cronin, with, who's shot a lot of great stuff, was the DP on it and then went on to do Blade Runner. Um, and then um, the editor of it went to edit Fast Times at Regiment High and then, like, a bunch of... Disney TV shows, <laughs> uh, but I'm um, Stuart Baird, who's became quite famous as um, a, a behind-the-scenes fixer. Uh, he's an editor who, uh, who's edited a lot of big pictures and did executive decision and stuff like uh, U.S. Marshals. But he's often like, if you dig through a lot of troubled films, he'll be the guy that s saves it in post and says, "Oh, you know, if you put this here, you put that there, and you reshoot this." And he doesn't get credited, but it, you know dig half an inch on a lot of films and Stuart Baird pops up and he's uh, on to save it. Yeah. And he was, he was post. an associate producer <laughs> on this. So, and, um, sorry, the other thing I find really striking about altered States before I pass it to you guys is that there's this kind of myth around around the Hollywood system that the seventies were the crazy time. And then like <laughs> star Wars came in and the studios were like, right, we're not taking any risks anymore. And they, you know, they bolt the doors and chain them and every, all the rebels are outside and, and nothing interesting happens. This was not just a Warner Brothers film. This was a Warner Brothers film released on Christmas Day, 1980. Um, wow. And for Oscar contention, which it got. Um, so I, I, and I don't have the nominations that got in front of me. I know Score was one of them. But... Um, yeah, and so it's it's definitely... Uh, oh, the other person, that, by the way, that it's a premiere for besides William Hurt is uh, Drew Barrymore in her first Yeah, tell oh, yeah. so, yes. a little Drew Barrymore there yeah. in just a very, very small role as his daughter. Yeah. So this is a, at least the second time I've... No, at least the third time I've seen Altered States. And um, it wasn't insufficiently of an altered state this time to quite blow me away as much as the previous sleep-deprived yeah. time that I saw it. Um because if you're on this film's wavelength, it takes you to another place. And if you're not on the film's wavelength, um, it, I, I, it's still like really fascinating mm. and undeniably striking. 
But there's moments I'm like, well, that looks a little bit like a low-rent American werewolf in London thing. Or it's like, <laughs> oh, this state is quite a bit not politically correct or, you know, what have you. <laughs> um, but I still, I still, even with that, really loved it. Um, and, yeah, what did you guys... What was your altered state? It's my third time seeing this one. And the first time I saw it was completely blind on late-night television. Right. And it was... I was, you know... I don't know, must be now early 20s. And I was just, I watched it with this bemused fascination of what's yeah. going on because it's, the dialogue is almost impenetrable at times. Oh. It's, it's incredibly like technical. Fast and technical. Technical, yeah. fast, overlapping dialogue. There's, you, Bob Balaban. You hear more. Oh, my God. <laughs> you so hear good. more about about medical uh, techniques in the, in the 80s than you will ever think. But you won't be able to repeat it. You won't be able to repeat it. You, you couldn't do it as an audition piece, <laughs> let's put it that way. But then it starts getting into the trippiness when, when William Hurt, just the opening little hallucination that he has. And you imagine that for my 20-year-old brain at right. 11 o'clock at night, bang, bang, bang. And the second time I saw it, we all saw it together at the end of a very long run of movies, and I was really sleep-deprived, and it was like... An entirely different movie, and it felt like I was, you know, I've never dropped LSD. Mm. I've never done any drugs that, you know, but apart from alcohol, thank you, alcohol. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was. It felt like I was doing a little weird trip there, like testifying. A, yeah, same experience. It's mm. uh, yeah, and uh, that time it was you were completely drawn into it. This time, I, so that was the first time I watched it. Second time, I actually realized there was plot and there were characters it was <laughs> I, I, it was like watching it for the first time because the it, but uh, i was seen at this time at about eight o'clock in the morning before work right which was about two hours wow. later wow yeah that's, that's, um, that's probably i was gonna watch it really early as well and end up watching it about and um and so i was actually able to focus on it and see the relationship story and the fact that they uh, mm. Uh, they they meet and marry practically on the same day. <laughs> well, they don't because one of the weird, less yes, obvious actually, things about the film right. is the they just cut between scenes and it's suddenly, like years of five years later, so and there's, subtle, it's there's awesome. no yes. there's no fade to no, black or like clouds or anything. It's no just, like, putting up five years later. It's just yes. saying they've got two kids. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that I don't think I picked up on that as well the second, not even the second time around, yeah. but the third time around. Yeah, I really was able to as you say, watch it more as a film rather than an yes. experience. Mm. And you could see these bits where suddenly it's just like, wow, I didn't realise that that jump had happened, that this is mm. not the same time. This is not the next day. This is six months later. And then it becomes mm. more obvious as it goes along. And I, I found this time around the characters meant a lot more to me. It's uh, Bob Balaban really stood mm. out. And also the, the other guy who is... Uh, Gets involved near the end. Yes, yeah. yeah. He's, he became just a really interesting, it's sort of supportive friend who and they all get involved and all try and help out. And it's... Um, yeah, I, I very much enjoyed watching it again this time round. It was a different experience. It was yeah. certainly less trippy. Yeah. I, but, I, I, I put that with something like The Holy Mountain, which the first time I watched The Holy Mountain... Mm-hmm. And then I watched it sort of six months later at a completely different time of the day mm. in a different environment, and it was a, and a new experience of the film. So I, it's the kind of movie you can watch multiple times for, yeah. and get different different feelings every time. And at the first time I watched it, I wasn't sure I liked it. Second time, I wasn't sure what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Third time, yeah, I, yeah, I've enjoyed Third it Third time's a charm. I, I think yeah. it's, it's, it's a make a saying out of that. <laughs> it, It'll never go. It'll it's, it's definitely it's growing on me more the more I watch it, and I will definitely, yeah. I'll probably watch it again at some stage in my life. And it's... 
it's just become one that, that mm. it's it's still probably um of his of his movies I prefer Listomania because it's just so insane. Yeah, yeah. There's oh, just absolutely. nothing stands still for a second in that movie. There is always something to see, and it's just a true Ken Russell. To grab your seat if we're going mm. places, but this one, if, as you say, plot wise and, and characters, it's it's mm. probably a little more complete. So it's yeah, yeah, and it, it does. I th- I think the reason it's not the most metal of these three, I was thinking you would expect if a movie like Altered States came out now, like I think of Mandy actually mm. as a film yeah. that even before it's normal is still like metal as <laughs> and, and not so, and you know and um. But, you know, you could cut about 15 minutes of scenes out of Altered State and put them in a row, and you could be just like, oh, this is just some movie about, like, university professors, and it ter- would turn out to be class, or, you know, like, <laughs> just some kind of... And um, and it is... It, it's Ken Russell making a bid for respectability and being somebody that can be trusted to do a bankable film that has some of these mainstream elements without sacrificing... Any of his um, microphotography, blasphemous blood flying on Bibles, <laughs> you know, glow in the dark, genetic retrogressions. Like I look at my notes here, and most of them are about visuals. It's, it is, yeah, it's a very it's, visual. It's the visuals, visuals it's music. It's yeah. um, one here is um, the fact that the the lighting and the music. During the um, during the sex scene, which is on the same night that they um, that our two main characters who marry later have met, is um, it makes the the sex it gives it an almost a clinical look. It make, makes it look like part oh, of the really science red experiment. Thing. Yes, mm. yes, and, and, and the way also the music about his religious background as well that comes yes, into mm-hmm. it, which Absolutely. sort of implies that there's some kind of something in his background that he's bringing into this that. And also, um, I noted here, death by cancer of dad was a, as a motivation for his for his science. Yeah. Is, um, but it's, it's, it's yeah, a, it's a very intense performance by William Hurt as well. Once again, it's that intensity. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, well, yeah. it started but, as he meant to go yeah. on. And yeah. He's, yeah, he he gives it everything. He's, I mean, it's a role with some teeth, I and mean, you can tell he's. He's he's going for it on that one, but it's uh, it's not an over the top performance in a movie which has such over the top moments in it. And to be fair, he doesn't start over the top. No, he does no. modulate. Mm. You know, he's not and... Jack Nicholson in The Shining. We, yeah. we, uh, that's a crazy man. That's, that's a guy I want looking after my property. <laughs> and, and, Wait a second, <laughs> this isn't a good idea. And, and dare I mention influences on J.J. Abrams? But um, I'm gonna because I've already started. <laughs> is um... no. <laughs> I just leapt in front of the microphone there. <laughs> and shined a lens flare into the microphone. <laughs> the TV show Fringe. Uh, I don't know if either of you have seen that I show. Saw a little bit of it. Nimoy's in it, right? Uh, Nimoy is in it, yes. So but it's, kind of government but agency specifically, that Fringe here has two major parts um, from Altered States, which is the isolation chamber it is a major part of Fringe all the way through its five series. And uh, Blair Brown, who is um, William Hurt's um, wife and love interest throughout this movie, is, um, plays the head of the evil corporation in Fringe. 
Oh, good. Those sound like some fringe benefits. <laughs> hey! <laughs> you oh. can see the constipated look on Doug's face. He's really, holding he's really <laughs> There's the dad joke. Well, <laughs> I'm so proud right now. Let's do a time check. How long does it take? We, we still have a, a whole uh, third <laughs> one to go. So, yeah, but we can, I think we can move on from altered states. I think and, we can. Uh, we can move on to our most. Metal, Metal movie, yes, undeniably. Oh, do, I just oh. had one note here oh, 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 that oh, oh. just seemed a strange. One. I can't remember writing it, but it's. Oh, well, then uh, it must be good. <laughs> <laughs> it just states here: caveman, zoo, real animals, fucking dangerous. Oh yeah. yes, yeah. so yeah. that, that will be the night was, when yeah. um, the American werewolf in London. Yes, kind of where William Hurt thing is regresses yeah. <laughs> into a caveman. Spoiler and runs through a zoo and it had it's to be real. real animals that. Oh my lord! And they got a an actor running through. Yeah, they're looking. So that's actually stuff. a dancer. Is I think right. that's um, I think from a New York ballet or something that they got to play the regressed ah, one to give yeah. them different movement different and movement, simian yeah. behavior. It's not William Hurt in that. No, no, um, I forgot. It didn't <laughs> seem like it was. Um, but yeah. Uh, mm. Mm. There we go. So yeah, right. if, you, if you want a job in the remake, uh, and you <laughs> just apply to. <laughs> Because there's nothing that we've worn sells better in 2019 <laughs> than people dressed up as animals. <laughs> Remember cats? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, not really. I was drunk when I watched it. So <laughs> you, did, you did manage to talk about it for like 12 minutes last oh, time. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, and I made no sense. But then again, the movie did not. So. <laughs> Let's move on. So, to... what flavor of metal have we got? This we yes. are now going into the genre of doom metal, and this movie is a doom metal movie. I, that's the only way I can describe it. Doom metal is more. Uh, but they slow, like slow heavy. sludgy kind yes. of, and it's definitely dealing with much darker subjects. And the movie, well, the, the band is Cathedral, uh, and they sampled the movie Witchfinder General in their song Hopkins, the Witchfinder General. I am Matthew Hopkins, Witchfinder. Uh, and apparently there's also a new metal band from England called Witchfinder General, which I found out earlier today. And in fact, they have a song called Witchfinder General. Um, <laughs> they're they're uh, early 80s, like new wave of British heavy metal from the um, Iron Maiden era. Iron but the um, song Witchfinder General, Witchfinder General is literally the plot of Witchfinder General. Coming to get you, yeah. So, and this one's got the the lyrics of this one also include a lot of uh, of of it, it does touch on the movie it feels like but it also touches more on the uh, the um, character itself the band itself. So Cathedral were from Coventry in England. Uh, they founded in, in 1989 uh, with uh, an ex Napalm Death member uh lee dorian formed the, uh, that band and they sampled this movie which is definitely i think it, a movie that we have to let darren talk about because this is darren's uh, <laughs> this is my jam this is his jam yeah. this involves one of the three holy trinity yes this is please hammer don't hurt him because <laughs> <laughs> who does this movie star you can't touch this it's vincent price vincent goddamn price yes, yes. it's um which doesn't necessarily cue you in for what you're expecting no. Absol- well yes i was surprised it's um some uh notes from uh some t- t- 
uh, text from Doug when he was watching this film was <laughs> I was surprised he wasn't aware of the actual tone, which is fucking dark. I wasn't yeah. aware of it either. I'd only ever seen uh, trailers for it, which don't give away how dark this movie well, is. You, and probably Vincent not Price a, yeah. is normally known for his campier role. So if you yes. get the Holy Trinity of Cushing, Lee, and Price, Christopher Lee bought the gravitas. Mm-hmm. Peter Cushing bought the politeness to the horror. And Vincent Price bought the humour. He was yes. he was the he got those campy roles. He was roles the scenery chewer. He was ate the scenery and loved doing it. I mean, you look at uh, Doctor Fibes, abominable Doctor Fibes. Oh yeah, and it's just a joy of a movie. And he's mm. just eating every part of that scenery. If there was anything left at the end of it, I'd I'd be surprised. But yeah, but it's a some of the cast thing. went there after the. the no, he <laughs> ate a grip on the way out. <laughs> 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 Two writers that were just on set, you know. Yeah, it's um, so Witchfinder General. It's Vincent Price is what led me to this film. Many, many years ago, because I'm just such a Vincent Price fanboy. Um, this film, it's the Witchfinder General, was known as Conqueror Worm in the USA. Uh, that was to tie it into the Edgar Allan Poe cycle for Roger Corman. You got it. And it adds the American version has Vincent Price read from the 1843 poem, The Conqueror Worm, over the opening and closing credits. It's uh, this one was Vincent Price was not the original choice and was certainly not the fucking choice of the director. <laughs> it's uh, which um, so Michael Reeves, the director of this movie, he wanted Donald Pleasance. AI, it's Tygon um, AIP. They wanted Vincent Price. It's uh, Michael Reeves was not having that in any way and bullied a performance there's no other way to say it he they he, he bullied a performance out of vincent price and i think we have a uh, a quote coming somewhere along the lines it's, but, w- it's worth just very quickly noting that michael reeves is 24 25 yes, when he shot witchfinder general wow. yes he was 25 when he died yes so vincent price 56 years was 35 years older than then Hopkins is a part of it, and that was why Michael Reeves yeah. didn't want him. No. He it, he wanted someone who could act, and he thought, and quite rightly, that Donald Pleasance was a was an actor, whereas Vincent Price was a scenery chook. <laughs> and they did come to uh, some heavy blows. Take it away. Yes. Yeah, so, so the story I was referring to before, when Vincent Price has said. I've been in 85 movies. What have you done? And uh, Michael Reeves replies, two good ones. Ooh, <laughs> ouch. And then they, you know, they got some calamine for that burn. And, uh, <laughs> so, supposedly Price came to understand what he was, what Reeves was doing at the end. But Eventually. Accounts, I, I had read one uh, little note that said that he, apparently he, I think he fell off a horse, Vincent Price. And Michael Reed deliberately did not go to see if he was okay because he wanted him to be pissed off at him and that to come through in the performance. Right. Eventually, it, he yeah. did go and see him, and yeah. that was because uh, Vincent Price wouldn't come back to the set until that happened. <laughs> it, uh, it did eventually happen, and we got a great but uh, vile and sadistic film, as uh, many reviewers called it. <laughs> I, I was some. I mean, when we watched this together, Darren and I, he brought it over to my place, and halfway through, I'm just like, this is not the Vincent Price I was expecting. Mm. It's, it's it's an amazing performance. It is. There's no ham. There's no, no pig products of any kind anywhere near it. 
It's, um, I've got a, a few little um, chunks here of, uh, of knowledge for you. There's uh, Robert Russell, who played the vile, sadistic sociopath who helps that the That doesn't narrow it down. Oh, okay. That, <laughs> that, uh, there's a lot of vile people. He's, he's great, of course. Um, however, his voice was dubbed as it was too high-pitched for playing such a bastard. <laughs> so that's... Um, and, and sadly, of course, Michael Reeves died age 25 it's uh well working on the oblong box for many many years he suffered from depression and insomnia and was un- undergoing medical treatment at the time and his uh, doctors gave him lots and lots of medicines and uh, unfortunately he um overdosed accidental as as it is said to be in the uh, coroner's report unfortunately it, it has been out there that he committed suicide but Clearly, the coroner's report shows it as an accident. Right. The Oblong Box was a Vincent Price film as well, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So and Christopher Lee. Yeah, obviously wanted to work with him again. So, despite obviously having a, a bit of uh, you know friction on the set, he, I'm mm. guessing he was. Happy I think with there's that, a lot yeah. of actors who you know when they see the end result, like they're kind of like, okay, I I see what you've done. I, there, this yeah. is I didn't even realize you could get this out of me, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I, he's just incredible in this film. Mm. Yeah. Just, it's it's the most serious role. And, and yet, like, there's still even just the kind of... Um, there's just moments of tone that even hits where he's just... The, has moments of just slight amusement that actually, like, oh, things are going on that... Um, well, as opposed was, to um, being like, I'm going to get revenge. He's like, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While he was doing it, he thought it was his worst performance ever because it just wasn't him. Yeah, and he was um, purposefully giving uh, giving the director nothing because he was told to pull back, pull back. It's uh, and so uh, he decided, fuck you, Michael Reeves. I'll give you nothing at all. And Michael Reeves loved it because yeah. that's and that's because that's what he wanted. Because yeah. that's what's so much scarier is that you, the the level of depravity of the torturing. Because I mean, we haven't really talked about the plot yet, but what a Witchfinder no. General is is a guy that shows up in a town in a time of lawlessness and um, gets money, basically, for finding witches. And so the the testing of this um, isn't exactly precise. And this is also something that surprised me a lot because I knew the American, kind of the Salem witch trials mm. and all of that. I've always thought of that as being a peculiar, peculiarly American tradition and i don't know where this falls chronologically against that but it's certainly it's the same hysteria it was um to be very precise 1645-ish yeah so, uh, right. the 1700s, so, yeah matthew so, hopkins it was uh, his life was 1620 to 1647 and this is a real person real, a person. real, person. real person it's yeah. uh, he had a profitable career um, around Suffolk, Essex, and Norfolk, it was twenty shillings per town for a witch. That's twenty pounds today. So, b- believed and responsible for the deaths of over three hundred women. Wow! The now, the the plot, a very simple plot for this movie, is it's a young soldier seeks to put an end to the evils caused by a vicious witch hunter when the latter terrorizes his his fiance and kills her uncle. 
which is pretty much... But the first 15 minutes don't actually have anything to do with that. No, so we, see, it's we, a simple plot, but mm. it's a while before the Witchfinder generally even that's true. shows up, and yeah. much longer before the um, our main character is even aware that he should be concerned about this Witchfinder general. No, it's the it's that, um, that typical, everything is lovely, everything is fine, let's have some sex, lovely, 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 things aren't fine anymore no. when a Witchfinder turns goes away. But it's, but it's not even fine at the start, you know, because they're out hunting, you know, and, they, and he shoots the... Yeah, but when he gets... Uh, Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. They, they give okay, that yeah, kind yeah. of loveliness. And even the lighting is shown as, as lighter than bef- before yeah. Vincent Price comes in with his, uh, his, his witchfinder buddy. witchfinder general. His witchfinder yes. crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's, it is, it's quite at times that it feels almost sadistic. Because and it's, mm-hmm. I was surprised the blood in this movie because we are talking 1963. Mm. Was it 63? Absolutely. Uh, I thought it was 68. Uh, but surprising amount of blood for a British production. Yeah. And I looked up to see what Tygon did because this was only their fifth film. Of Made Tygon. a ton yeah. of money this film yeah. too. And the, right before it they did uh, sci-fi sex comedy Zeta 1 <laughs> and the Blood Beast Terror. And then they hit this. And after this they became one of the the kind of the hammer lights. I mean, mm. you're looking at things like the Haunted House of Horror, which we looked at one time mm-hmm. here. There's the Beast in the Cellar, Blood on Satan's Claw, mm-hmm. and then boom, you're underway. So you've got some fantastic ones. I mean, sure, by the end of the 70s, they were doing things like Alpair Girls and um, something called the Virgin Witch, which I'm looking for now. So, <laughs> but it's it's a, it, it feels like a turning point movie for them because mm-hmm. they, the first four movies are different there's a couple of sex comedies and then there's some one that sounds a, a kind of a horror but a, just a low budgety horror and this feels like they got their feet underneath them and really got running so mm. yeah but it's uh, there's a few things that i found really formally interesting and one was like there's a there's a lengthy burning scene and there's no music in it it's all just the sound of fire. And, um, mm. and I was thinking about the contemporary The Witch, which actually has a lot of music in it. But I feel like there's sort of a line from the um, relentlessly dour aesthetic of that film that, you know, th- this feels like the original stake in the ground mm-hmm. that, you know, for all the specific directions that that film is different in, feels like it's just this very um, unflinching you know, the, these are the tough realities of it. The other thing that's interested me a lot is, is Michael Reeves uses a lot of up and down angles, like high angles, low angles. And there's a couple scenes where I'm like, he would have made a kick-ass action film. Like, <laughs> you know, there's a bit where he runs into um, dubbed guy in the uh, bar, our hero, and and, oh, yes. and they get into a fight. And it's actually a really good action yeah. scene. And it's not an action film. And there's only a few scenes like that. But, um, yeah, you can see a director, and and it was literally one of those, I'm like, how have I not seen any Michael Reeves films? This guy's major. And then it's like, oh, because he only made three and he died at 25. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know. (laughs) But, um, and then there's also just, even the the satisfaction that you would expect to come at the end of a film like this when it releases, releases, reaches its inevitable conclusion um, is entirely absent and non-cathartic. Mm. It's mm. just fucking sad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, one thing I, I found watching it this time too is that it's so grounded you could not mistake it for a hot, a Hammer movie at all. No. It doesn't doesn't have any of that mist on the moors, any of that sort of over the overdone. Mm. 
theatrical lighting. Mm, yeah, it's, true. It's a very, very grounded, very grimy, very mm. dirty kind no of... No studios, actually. Yeah. I think it was all shot on location. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And I mean, does, does you, when you look at a Hammer film, you normally get those bright, popping colours, especially with the new Blu-rays that have come out, just mm. bring those back up, and they just jump off the screen in this one. It was like I felt like you just wanted to rub a finger across the screen of my TV and wipe the green. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's it. There's the color. But no, it feels washed out. That's it. As, as Mystery Science Theater said, are we watching someone's last known photograph here? So, Did they? No, they didn't. Oh, I was going to no. say it. Just, that's, I, I know, that's, I know that's that an unrelated quote. I know, I know that they bashed <laughs> some uh, <laughs> they bashed up, but no, films, but I don't, I don't think I they think would have the... No, uh, even they would have struggle with this one. And, yeah. You know, but uh, it's it's definitely was, it's worth watching. Um, I'm not sure I will go back and watch it again because mm. you know I like happy things. <laughs> but uh, it's yeah, I, I'd be, it's, I, it's I might difference. actually go back to watch it, knowing what it is at mm. some point because I there is something about the story structure of it and all as well with just how we get to know the lead character and his journey with the army, and it's also this kind of I mean, what was for me like a bit resonant, of course, is that at this time where there's this loss of um, faith in a central power and the society is falling apart and extrajudicial killings are becoming common. Mm. And, and, and I, I just, it's a, probably a bit snarky to be like, America, but, don't, but there is um, something in the kind of... Uh, that's rippling through in the underneath of it about what it means to be in a country where that's happening, where there's no central authority and where these reigns of terror can kind of mm. occur unabated with uh, to a citizenship that has no way of um, opposing them short of you know, direct uprising and in, in, in civil action. And, and also the uh, with Vincent Price, it's the, there's a scene where him and uh, John Stern was the, the vile, sadistic guy working with him where they just talk about the money. It's where, where that is the motivation. It purely mm. is, this is their job, and they can, it's, they can kill more people for more money, and it's just, it's just chilling. Mm. Even as I've seen it a few times, uh, the first time I, I remember recording it from Sunday Night Horrors, which is right. way back, and um, I had to do some very duplicitous means in order to record, because... Uh, it um, hides the fact that there was a, a record on the old video machine, so my parents never knew that it was happening. <laughs> <laughs> do, do they... Oh, but they might know now. <laughs> you should make sure he doesn't get to go out next weekend. <laughs> He's actively grounded for that one. <laughs> but it's, I remember watching. I, I probably didn't get all the way through it the first time because it's. I can see that. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. there's none of the the joy of Vincent Price. That sort of the yeah. twinkle in the eye. Mm. It's, though you wouldn't want a twinkle in his eye no, while he no, was no. stabbing people in the back and it's yeah. uh, or getting other people to do that. And yeah. I mean, it took me about a half hour to cue into what the movie really was because mm. my expectations were so oh, of out course. of whack, and I was just like, oh, but this is going to get fun at some point. Surely, <laughs> it must just be a slow start before you know the the mustaches start properly twirling, and it was just, and I'm like, the, and it felt actually more like the devils or something, you know, mm. just uh, not as histrionic, but in that kind of um, 
tone of just sheer desperation and sadness and that it's like yeah it's a horror movie but it's not i mean the the only horror element of it is sheerly human you know i i I thought like if you had asked me going in what's going to happen it's like oh vincent price is going to like go into a house and discover that there's an actual witch there and he's gonna there's gonna be a doorway to hell and he's gonna go out and um, there's gonna be some psychedelic lighting because it's 1968 and you know maybe some guitars and yeah so uh zero for ten on the prediction (laughs) there other than that vincent price is in fact in this movie is the only thing i got right humans are horrible people at times and they have been through history and there's a lot of you know it's a lot of lovely people out there most people but there has always been horrible people and horror created by humans for the sake of being evil bastards is more horrific than anything mm. you could write as a horror writer. I mean, it's the same way that a scene where someone in a movie is chased by a demon can be scary, but someone stepping on a nail in a movie and you just go, Jesus, fuck, that could happen to me. Mm. This is the sort of stuff, This when you've got someone who is that realistically evil that you know he's just doing it for the money. And there's mm. you can look online or in a newspaper today and you can see a dozen people doing evil shit for money. Yeah, and it resonates all the way through. And, and so. it's it's that the characters are so simply and clearly but believably drawn, mm. you know, and that it's um and and simply but not simplistically, like, you know the um the priest isn't like overly insanely good. He's just you know he's a he's mm. he's fine. Yeah, you know, but it's it's not like you know. They're not it, caricatures. They're not cartoon yeah. characters. No. And Vincent Price playing Matthew Hopkins could have been. A, a caricature. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's he tried. Cool. Yeah, we're, we're, we're booking <laughs> this because every Murray, Murray Abraham could have played an yeah. evil character as a cartoon character, yeah. and didn't he played him human? And this is human from the other end of the scale. Mm. So, you know. and they reserve the 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 most horror for the last scene of the movie. It's as Doug had already mentioned that there's no catharsis at all. Mm. It's uh, and not. A spoiler, because we're not really going to give it away, but um, one thing I did note is that the um, screams continue through the beginning of the closing credits. I won't tell you why. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it's, yeah, yeah it's for, it, and so it just doesn't leave you alone. The, and then, the, the words are yeah. coming up, but the screams are still coming. And that's, I think, I mean, to rope into this what makes a movie metal kind of thing. Because <laughs> I, I had actually said about The Witch being a metal movie and um, and uh, his other one, The Lighthouse, as well. Um, and I think there's some... The whole point, I think, of good metal is it's trying to harness this giant force that we don't fully understand. And I think somebody who is coming from the outside of metal, if you put on, like... You know, a tech death track, and then like Sun O, and then Night. It's like, how are these even related? But it's you know, it's the thing that metal fans know is, it's because it's big and it's intense, and it can actually be essentially symphonic, or it can just be a wall of sheer cacophony. Um, but it's just wrestling with something huge and uncomfortable, and I think that's what Witchfinder General is. Mm-hmm. Very metal. Double horns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to see Immortal, who are um, one of those um, 
Scandinavian bands that wear face paint and stuff. <laughs> um, and my friends like, you, uh, we have to go. I'm like, heck yeah, I'd love to see Immortal because I didn't didn't know what they'd be like. And and but I also was curious what the fans would be like. And they were the quietest fans because they were holding their bloody hands up like that. So it's like, it was almost like going to a golf course, you know, I'd be like, two people clapping and everybody else going like there is the, the Scandinavian Wiggles are a heavy metal band called uh, Heavy Saurus with dinosaurs playing heavy metal songs for children. And that is one of the most friggin' awesome things I've ever seen. I'm getting my three-year-old nephew on this right now. You are looking now. at Heavy Saurus. Heavy I will Saurus. find some. I will find some Please Heavy Saurus. Please do. Anything I, I can do to make my um, nephews damn. more metal, I will... Uh, and the, seriously, promptly. Anthony Field of the Wheels, he's pretty damn metal. Okay, okay. I like that guy. But Heavy Saurus, yeah. I, I'm not sure I trust you on the Heavy Metal <laughs> Wiggles thing, you know. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we, can, uh, <laughs> we can have an update on who is actually the most metal among the three of us next time. Um, uh, to, yeah, clearly spoiler the least. alert, not Darren. Not Darren. Not Darren. <laughs> Anyway, on that note, um, we, oh, nice we wrap. Pun. Oh yes, yes. Uh, ne- next time, I uh, will go into a completely different genre of music, and we'll discuss what that is after we get done recording this. And so we'll uh, we'll end off some nice uh, metal sounds to take us out. Copyright depending. I'd like to thank our non-sponsored beer sponsor, Sawmill, for the Doctor's Dark Lager. Delicious. Thank yes, you very much. Thank you. I'd like to thank you, gentlemen, for joining me again. And it welcome been- back. Yes, and uh, and if you're in another country that hasn't got rid of this yet, wear your fucking mask. <laughs> <laughs>